We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome in to the Rotowire NFL podcast brought to you by our friends over at Dynasty Owner and our friends over at FanDraft. I'm your host, John McKechnie, joined as always by Mario Puig. Today we are going to uh, deviate a little bit from the usual uh, NFL uh, content and we are going to look ahead to next year's uh, future stars, the guys that are going to be headlining the NFL draft. Obviously this past year felt like a pretty historic uh, wide receiver class in terms of its its depth and top end talent and we won't be missing much of that uh, with this upcoming class. I mean you're talking about guys like Jamar Chase out of LSU. You've got Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith out of Alabama, and those are just a couple of the guys that we're going to get into. So, uh, Mario, I know that uh, you help out with the college football projection side of things, and, and you know that helps maybe give you an under the hood look at some of the names that you've uh, you know been hearing about uh, over the course of the last year, maybe two years, or or what or what have you. But uh, in lo- in going through some of these projections and, and everything like that. Um, you now, you know, have a pretty good understanding of, of how ridiculous and how deep uh, some of this, uh, some ends of this receiver pool are. 
Yeah, and as you said, it's even though it wasn't even valued that highly at the time, the receiver class from two years ago also, and then of course last uh, this year's, um, like the AJ Brown DK Metcalf one in hindsight probably was even stronger than the one from this year even though uh we we were more ready we were more ready to give uh, that first round stamp to the guys like judy and cd lamb and and uh rugs as it turned out but both of those are really sick and then there's still some more uh seemingly like rock solid star talent coming in uh, in the upcoming year or two so this receiver class i'll have to lean on you quite a bit for for actually like the outside of the obvious cases i'll, I'll need and even in those cases, I'll need you to kind of fill in some some of the blanks for me. Uh, like I I don't know who these guys are. Like Devonte Smith and Jalen Waddle, certainly Jamar Chase, who probably would have been the number one. I guess there's a case to make that all of Devonte Smith, uh, Jalen Waddle, and Jamar Chase could have been the top receiver in this most recent draft. But Chase especially, he looks like he's kind of um, the next singularly anticipated receiver. Even though there's other guys like Amen. Ross St. Brown, who could, who could be also like a top 12, I think, kind of receiver pick. Uh, yeah, so he he's definitely talented. Obviously, you, you may have heard of his brother, Equinemia St. Brown, and Osiris St. Brown uh, plays uh, for Stanford. But yeah, like you were saying, uh, Jamar Chase, a ridiculous talent, one that, that definitely could have challenged to be that, that number one guy this year. And I, I value uh, Jalen Waddle in a, in a similar light. Um, Me too. The true sophomore last year, you know, even in an Alabama receiving core. So we'll, we'll talk about Chase here in a second, but I, I guess we'll just start in Tuscaloosa. We'll start with the Alabama guys. And we got a lot of other guys to get to as well. We got Rashad Bateman, Tylen Wallace, um, Chris Olave at, at Ohio State, who I don't think yeah. gets quite enough love. Tamorian Terry, Sage Surratt, and, and Iman Sa- Iman Ra uh, St. Brown. But uh, rolling back to, to the tide here, um, Jalen Waddell, I was talking to Nick Whalen about this on the College Football Podcast yesterday. It felt like during the Iron Bowl this year, when, when Alabama played Auburn, pretty high-stakes game, of course, um, that Waddle was simply the best player on the field, period. He had, mm-hmm. in that in that one game, he had four targets. Um, he caught all four of them, so that's good. Uh, 98 yards off of, off of those four targets, so uh, close to 25 yards per. Um, and then three touchdowns on those four catches, and also ran a kickback for a touchdown. So he had five total, like, t- or uh, six total touches. I think he had a couple of kick returns, but one of them went went back to the house. And it's just like this guy is just playing at a different speed than everybody else. Uh, he has a feel for the game. Like he, his spatial awareness is crazy. His ability, like once he has the ball in his hands to analyze where to go with it, with it is rare to say the least. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, this is a guy who uh, really is going to take off that this year, like it, he was able to do that with uh, Jerry Judy and with Henry Ruggs eating up a lot of the targets uh, for Alabama. Now he gets to shine uh, alongside Devontae Smith, where I think that, you know, for the first time in a couple of years, we're going to see this Alabama like uh, distribution tree get trimmed down a little bit. It's going to be kind of narrow. And I think, you know, for your, your college fantasy football players, it's going to be a lot more predictable, a lot less of a headache of playing like the um, – the whack-a-mole of which Alabama receiver is going off this week, because I think with, with uh, Judy um, and with Ruggs being gone, it's going to be Smith or Waddle or both day more often than not. And you're not going to have to worry as much about uh, a Javon Baker or a Slade Bowden or a John Mechie, uh, those guys producing the way that like a Jalen Smith or Devontae, or I'm sorry, Jalen Waddle or Devontae Smith would for like the Judy Ruggs investors a year ago. 
Yeah, I mean, I know this isn't anything solid that anyone can use, but for what it's worth, Waddle, when I when I saw Waddle play for the first few times, I pretty much immediately had that sort of oh, uh, crap, this this guy's <laughs> the truth kind of kind of thing hit me. Like it's not that many receivers that I that I have that hit me right away when I when I first watched them. It's like Jalen Rager was one of those guys or it's just like you look at him and you're like, oh, this guy's different. Something's different about this one. And Waddle definitely fits it. I mean, I, I know that a lot of people are ranking Devonte Smith as the better of the two, but to me, Waddle's kind of clearly the better prospect. And I, I don't mean to bash Smith. Like I, I, I think even if Smith is a clear first round pick, then I think that just means Waddle's like a top 15 kind of guy to me. So he's, he's going into his third year, I believe with the team and Smith is going into his fourth. Correct. And so like Smith has to be putting up bigger than numbers than hit bigger numbers than, than Waddle to this point. Like he, he needs to do that to, to, to hold serve basically as a prospect, like he, him out producing Waddle is not him distancing himself from Waddle. It's him uh, keeping Waddle from running past him because Waddle, I mean, he's, he's caught 78 of 101 targets for what is this? 1408 yards. Through, through two years, that's insane. And to, he's he's doing the uh, the kick return touchdowns, the punt return touchdowns. Every time he gets the ball, however they need to get him the ball, he's just murdering people in the field. So I think Waddle's going to be the truth, uh, even if Smith is something really good himself. Like, what do you what do you think Smith is? Is he he almost like a might he be the answer to the question that we've been tormented by? Like, what if Devin Smith never got hurt uh, uh, out, of, out of Ohio State? Because he seems like he's just kind of like a, a kill shot kind of guy, right? Yeah, he, he is. He really – so because he was in that same recruiting class as Judy and, and Ruggs, like he, he kind of didn't get quite the attention he deserved. And obviously he had the kill shot uh, that I'm very familiar with against the University of Georgia in the national title game. Um, but, yeah, I mean he's just someone that – you throw the ball in his direction, like deep down the field. He, I mean, he's going to make a huge play. I mean, 18 and a half yards per reception last year, 13.8 yards per target. That's incredible efficiency and also explosiveness on top of it. And, you know, 14 uh, touchdowns on 91 targets is insane. I, I think a lot of that is buoyed by his uh, just sheer dismantling of the University of Mississippi program where where he had five touchdowns on 12 targets and 11 catches in that game. That that was one where I think I like stacked Judy and Ruggs or something in DFS. So, of course, uh, <laughs> that's that's what ended up happening. But yeah, Devontae Smith, um, just because he didn't come out this past year as a, as a true junior, I think that it was almost smart in a way because I think now he really gets to be um, like have that spotlight uh, shine on him this year in a way that that it just never truly did last year. Even though he was uh, deserving, he was immensely productive last year, uh, even alongside Judy and Ruggs. Yeah, I will say, um, without knowing the workout numbers of any of these guys, Smith's Devonte Smith's frame is a little bit of a concern to me. Not in the concern like. Oh, I, I'm worried he isn't good, actually. But if people are going to set their hopes as a, like a top 15 sort of valuation for him as an NFL prospect, then being listed at 6'1", 175 going into your fourth year, it at least it, we start to kind of put the pressure on him to either get more towards 6'1", 190 kind of weight. Or you better be ready to run a four three five and not worse than that because the, we're talking about guys like Waddle, we're talking about Jamar Chase, Amon Ross, St. Brown. To go at the top in, in an era of competition like this, you need to be kind of pretty close to perfect. So 
there's no shame in ending up kind of a, a pick 20 through 32 kind of prospect instead. But I kind of think that's where I expect Smith to go at the moment, at least in the context of, of a class that also would include Chase and uh, St. Brown and the other ones, of course. Yeah, that, that's a legitimate concern. That That's uh, a very like thin frame, and Alabama lost their uh, strength and conditioning coach uh, this past offseason. Um so hopefully he's been been hitting the weights during during quarantine a little bit and get can bulk up a little bit um, and still maintain that that killer speed uh, that he possesses. But yeah, it, it's it's hard to imagine either of uh, Smith or Waddle um, falling outside of like the the top five receivers that end up going um, in next year's draft. Um, let's stay in the SEC. Uh, let's move on over to to really like the man of the hour, the the reigning uh, Bolitnikov Award winner, um, the odds-on favorite to to maybe do it again uh, this year, uh, Jamar Chase out of LSU, and he has he actually has a teammate who is remarkably talented as well, who had a had a big uh, run in last year's uh, LSU's magical season, but maybe doesn't get talked about uh, quite enough. But I, I think that he is his definitely NFL uh, caliber talent as well. And that, that's Terrace Marshall. But let's lead things off uh, with Chase. Right. I guess he's also the one with the least to say. It's uh, kind of hard to even begin making the skeptics case against him. I guess there's a chance that he doesn't have – I guess there's a chance that he kind of has athletic testing along the lines of Jerry Judy and C.D. Lamb where uh, we, we kind of had their – we had our hopes of both of those guys being top 10 picks and then their athletic testing was more slightly above average than safely above average. Jamar Chase, he's listed at six foot two oh eight going into last year. So this is a guy who might measure in – once you do like the combine bulk up and everything and the, the the athletic testing training, he might measure in at something like 5'11", 210. So th- that's, that would almost be like a Debo kind of frame. And yet, unlike Debo, Chase has basically like an infallible downfield skill set. So it's, it's, uh, it's interesting what that sort of frame, especially if he tests safely above average with the 40 and the jumps and everything else, that kind of frame projects very well for yards after the catch to whatever extent that, that he could be used for it. But you, you, you look at his LSU tape from last year and his numbers from last year, and it's like, I, I think it looks like he might just kind of get open so much that he, he doesn't need these short passes that, that, you know, he could, he doesn't need to break tackles and run after the catch the way a Debo kind of receiver would. He, he can just dictate damage like all over the field and he uh, killed, forever. or he crushed uh aj terrell in the in the national championship game you know like that's a first round cornerback type of deal and, and he was beating i mean he had nine catches for 221 and two in that game you look through his game log from last year and the road the road wire player page especially it's funny to look at this because it has the target count and the yardage and the catches of course but then it has a yards per target calculation right there for you and you look in his second half of the year it's 14.7 yards per target against clemson and he caught nine of 15 passes uh 20.3 yards per target against oklahoma 21.9 against a&m 22.7 against mississippi and it's like he's catching eight of ten he's catching six of eight these are just these are complete defensive collapses like not not in the sense that like they're they're letting him do this it's like this this is a player who's producing at a level where the defense is effectively helpless like they can't do anything about this so he won't have burrow this year and and that'll give the defenses a fighting chance against him but uh production like this 
I guess it's something like you'd have to go back to like Michael Crabtree at Texas Tech to find the last time that a receiver was doing just like stupid, stupid numbers like this. And there's no big 12 level of competition explanation for, for how those numbers happen is like Chase is just the blue chip version. Like there is no system detail propping up his numbers. I think LSU had seven wins against teams that were ranked at the top 10 at the time or inside the top 10 at the time of their game. So like, yeah, like you were saying, he wasn't going against, you know, we he wasn't just beating up on the, uh, the Arkansas of, of the world. Like he was, he was crushing it against very, very legit competition. And yeah, I think it is important to frame the perspective of what his 2020 production could look like. And I feel like prospect analysts, a lot of the times in draft Twitter um, can kind of get lose sight of a season like i i don't know if a they lose perspective year. like they, they fix they fixate on and this is whatever understandable. the most recent year was yeah the shiniest most recent thing it's it's understandable i i, I think both of us probably fall to it too but sure. like we have to as as a as prospect evaluators we have to have the, the that that step in our process that where we go okay i'm settled down now that was that was fun or whatever it was it was cool to get uh, all hammed up about this this player and use superlatives and and uh, you know ridiculous comparisons. That, that's all fun. That's part of the process. I get it. But we have to stop for a second and then uh, s- sit down and center our perspective over like at least a two or three year timeline and try to remember the way everything happened and like the conditions that come with the numbers and and keep a, a full context perspective on things. Because yeah, it's, you're going to have these people if 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 there is you know a, a season where the the SEC at least can play chase is going to be out there going against the best defenses in the country with a quarterback who's nowhere near what was last year yeah, so it's for, immortal for, you know yeah it's, it's, it's there's no way for him to do what happened in the best offensive season in college football history and yet you are going to have people who say he didn't do what he did last year product of the it system raises a concern that it doesn't raise a concern that anything <laughs> just like just, either you believe justin jefferson should have been like a fifth round pick or you're not ready to make a convincing argument that Chase is anything but a top 20 kind of pick. Because he he had the harder task, too. Like, Justin Jefferson, I, to, to be clear, I think he's good. I think he's good. I think Terrace Marshall's good. But Chase had all the – like, he had the most attention of the defense, and he still did the most voluminous damage at the, at the highest efficiency level, too. This is just a player who was truly unstoppable. Yes. So, uh, really, the, there's – like barring an injury or anything that there's no reason to give him like the LaVisca Chenault treatment where like his junior year is worse than his sophomore year and it causes his draft stock to slide. Like you got to keep that perspective in, in what that 2019 LSU uh, offense was and, and, you know, how impressive uh, Chase was within it, but, you know, also realizing that uh, it's basically impossible to replicate uh, that level of production when you basically had an NFL quarterback at an advanced age uh, calling the shots with it with an NFL, you know, almost cheat code level offensive coordinator, or play designer and, and Joe Brady uh, just bringing LSU um, into Did the you- 21st century with with authority. Did you ever stop to think like I'm just doing it now for the first time, like how insane it is that he had 20 receiving touchdowns and 84 receptions <laughs> like i can understand 20 touchdown receptions if it's if it's yeah the mike leach michael crabtree thing it's like oh he caught 125 passes and scored 20 touch like 84 receptions and 20 touchdowns basically one out of every four of his catches is going to the house 
Yeah, and it's the, he's catching uh, two thirds of his targets with an average two two thirds of your targets while averaging twenty one over twenty one yards per catch. Um, I don't know. I think that, that this is probably a receiver who excels in basically every single receiver task. Yes, and it's and it's not like. Uh, Justin Jefferson in the sense where you also had to reconcile his like poor like uh, recruiting profile and it's like you know how how is this happening with with the two-star guy it's like no Chase was supposed to be like this and he just is and then more so like he he was like a a top level uh, receiver uh, recruit that just happens to have not only lived up to the hype but exceeded it in a way that uh, few ever can especially when the bar is set um, as high as it was. So yeah, he's unbelievable. Um, what do you think about Marshall? Is he, is he, do you, th- do you expect him to push for the first round too? Because it, it, just looking at his numbers from last year, it's, it's of course much less volume, both because he got hurt and because he just wasn't the starting slot receiver. And then no one can beat Jamar chase outside, but he caught 46 of 66 targets for also his, his touchdown rate is even dumber yep. than Chase's 13 on 46 <laughs> catches. See? Yeah, so people don't talk about Terrace Marshall enough and he, he's a, a bigger body, he's not quite as dense a, as Chase, but you know, 6'3" 200. Um is that a DJ Chark type of frame if I remember correctly? Chark was more like 6'4" 190 or something coming out and he's probably like a he's probably like a 64 200 kind of thing right now okay but yeah he ran like low four threes and uh, i mean marshall uh, there, there's no particular reason to bet against his athleticism i haven't looked at the tape closely enough to think any particular thing but uh that many touchdowns or the frame like that catch rate like that and that kind of distance and, and you know you gotta factor in like the the difficulty of, of catching those passes in that part of the field like it's not it's a lot harder to make those catches in the red zone than it is when you have 80 yards of defense to work with. Absolutely. So yeah, what, what these guys are doing is unbelievable. So we'll, we'll see what regression looks like when you, when you move uh, from uh, Joe Burrow to, to miles Brennan, miles Brennan has been kind of anointed as the savior of this LSU like quarterback uh, drought um, but then, then again, they, they did take Joe Burrow as a graduate transfer. We, we saw how that worked out and it's kind of amazing that, that Brennan, uh, st- stuck around through it because we, we do see quarterbacks once they see that, that it's going to be more than one year that they have to sit behind an, uh, a veteran, uh, then they start exploring their options. But Brennan still there. This will be, I think his fourth year on campus. I think he redshirted as, as a freshman. So, uh, this is his time to shine. Um, and I, I think that he he will. But then also, again, LSU doesn't have Joe Brady also. Um, so we'll, we'll see how much of Steve Ensminger, um, you know, kind of kept Joe Brady's playbook type of thing and, and can make things work in a similar way. I, I think that LSU just lost too much to the draft for, for them to be um, a national title contender again this year. But, uh, you know, they're still recruiting extremely well. They're still going to be really, really tough to beat. Um, they might have the two best players in the country still uh, between Chase and Stingley. Yeah, so, Sting- yeah it's, Stingley's it's, it's, a freak. And then if you want to look a little bit closer even at, at um, you know, maybe like a freshman that, to keep an eye out for, Arik Gilbert, uh, the tight end, um, he's just a, a monster. Uh, there's really no other way of putting it. One of the It's very rare to see uh, one of the or the recruiting sites give a five star to a tight end, um, but he was uh, deserving of it. I don't know how much volume he's going to get. I don't think he's going to get like the Thaddeus Moss uh, type of volume. But in terms of just like tight end prospects to to dream on, like 
he kind of has it. So, so you know, keep that name in the back of your mind, Arik Gilbert. Um, all right, who do we want to get into next? Should we move to so, the Big Ten? Well, what about uh, let, let's think. So we got Jamar Chase ranked one. Uh, we have like in some order or another Waddle, Devonte Smith in the top five. But where do you put Amon Ross, St. Brown? Because I'm having trouble convincing myself that he isn't the second best receiver. Okay. I, I guess I'm, pro- I'm probably going to defer to Waddle just because something's just crazy about him. He, the way he just uh, dominates through this point and he's going to be in his third year. I wouldn't be surprised if he turns into one of those kind of 20 touchdown receivers. So I, I don't want to mess with Waddle too much, but I, I feel like Amon Ross St. Brown cannot be worse than the third best draft eligible receiver right now. Okay. Let, let's explore that a little bit because uh, you, you did the USC projections, So you, uh, you took a closer look under the hood um, uh, of what he could look like for this 2020 season. <laughs> Um, he had a, a remarkable year last year, and I feel like it kind of flew under the radar. Like USC, kind of they they got their backs pushed against the wall when their when their quarterback uh, was lost for the season, and then they they found Keaton Slovis, kind of like finding like a hundred dollar bill um, in, in your wallet or in your pocket. A few of them, yeah, it, it just ridiculous. Um, and he was able to support not only a lot of production for Michael Pittman and and Tyler Vaughn's, but then also Amon Ross St. Brown and Drake London. So the crazy group of, of pass catchers at USC. Yeah. Now Pittman's gone, so that that's more targets to be distributed. Monroe St. Brown, different build than than his older brother Equinemius, um, checking in at like 6'1", 195, so probably just operates more... He, Comparatively, I mean, he would he would work out of the slot, but I think he he works outside as well. Um, yeah, I think he can play everywhere. He's he looks. I mean, they list him at six one one ninety five, and maybe he's not. And he maybe he's like five eleven one ninety or something. But that would be okay. Yeah. And, and if he is six one one ninety five, then I mean, we I, I just don't see the argument against him in the top fifteen because the deal with him is it's I shouldn't even have been so quick to give Waddle the deference there because St. Brown has been lights out through two years and he's he's in the same classes as, as waddle so there's no uh there's no like age advantage there's no theoretical upside angle that waddle has that amon Ra st brown does not but yeah basically through two years it's like he's caught 133 passes already er, sorry 137 passes in 24 games he's got uh it looks like a catch rate of just over 72 and the yardage per target is at 9.4. So this is 18, 19-year-old player in the Pac-12. During the Pac-12's probably best era of defense that I can remember at least in a long time. And he's catching 72% of his passes at 9.4 yards per target while supporting a volume of uh, eight, uh, sorry, 1,792 yards in his first two years. So now Pittman's out of the picture. I expect Drake London to uh, be the actual main slot receiver in this offense. Now that I think about it, I, at least when I was looking at the, the Drake London tape from last year, he, he seemed to be like a, a Jalen Hurd in the slot kind of player. Uh, he, he looks like he could be a problem. Who knows where it's headed? He, he has like some basketball crossover. So uh, maybe, maybe that'll spook the NFL a little bit, but it seems like he's a better receiver than he is a basketball player. Cause he was just murdering last year, put up some big numbers uh, against some of the, in some of the biggest games for USC, even though he was a true freshman. And then, so yeah, it's, it's, it's Pittman outside. Tyler Vaughn's, I think is kind of like the DeMarcus Lodge of this group. <laughs> I, I think some people are going to convince themselves that he's good. Cause he, he played, he did play right away and he had a couple uh, he had he had one really good season, but he's older than these other ones, and he's had a couple uh, concerning efficiency numbers. Like uh, among the the volume USC receivers going back like fifteen years, 
Vaughn's has the worst efficiency. It's like Deontay Burnett, I think, is a better player than Tyler Vaughn's. Uh, most people will disagree with that. Like Vaughn should get drafted. Burnett was not. But uh, I just I just think that Burnett's pretty good. And Vaughn's is, is probably, again, the DeMarcus Lodge, the uh, the wide receiver six in the NFL kind of prospect. Whereas Amon St. Brown is going to be, as long as they're not creeped out by his family like they were with Equinemius, but I guess they might be. Who knows? But if, if, he, if, he's, if he's all fairly assessed by the nfl he looks like a top 15 and then who knows what happens with london um, but he's he's probably gonna have a big year too yes so yeah that that usc um i love it when usc is good i have no like rooting interest in them but like it it feels like what things are a little bit more on kilter in the college football universe when, when usc is fun to watch and and uh it's and slovis good. is the real deal too i mean i know there's a chance that he's a flash in the pan or something, but Cody Kessler, even I, I tried to find like, what is the worst possible scenario for Slovis? And it's like, Kessler didn't do what Slovis did. Like no one's really done what Slovis did. He he was doing, you know, the, like Sam Darnold is the last freshman quarterback. I can remember who played like Slovis did and Slovis was way better. Yeah. And I think Darnold was a red shirt too. Um, oh yeah, probably. So yeah, Slovis, Slovis like went to USC just kind of expecting to sit behind JT Daniels for two years. And like by the second week of September, uh, now he's the starter. So, uh, that was, that was amazing. And he wasn't even like that big of a, uh, much of like a big time, uh, recruiter, yeah. at least relative to like the golden boys that you can kind of expect to, to go, uh, he to fumbled. USC. He fumbled a lot. He kind of turned it over quite a bit, but he was doing like Romo stuff in the way that you just, you know, eyes in the back of his head kind of moves that exactly the kind of stuff you would think would explain the difference between like his recruiting profiles. Like, why is this guy whose uh, only other offer is whatever? I'm just making it up. Wake Forest. It's like, why is he at USC? How did he do this as a true freshman at USC? And it's like you watch him and it's just he does stuff that, you know, they don't have to do with arm strength and size and athleticism. But it's just the inexplicable stuff he keeps doing over and over. Exactly. He uh, keeps stamping it. So, uh, yeah, USC fun to watch for, for this year and, and St. Brown uh, chief among them. Let's move to Big Ten country. Um, we got some interesting guys here. One guy who's coming off a huge season last year and uh we'll, we'll need to i don't know if he needs to like repeat it repeat it um but i think that there's going to be a microscope on, on rashad bateman yeah. in minnesota and then um i think everyone is looking forward to what a bounce back could look like for rondale moore out of purdue yeah Moore is really interesting i guess uh i should have i should have talked about him before now because there's certainly a plenty good case to rank him as high or higher than Amon Ross, St. Brown and Jalen Waddle. I don't think there's a case at this point to put more ahead of Jamar chase, but I, there might be some truthers out there. Uh, Moore's good. There's, there's no concern about him, you know, disappointing in the sense that he, he just isn't good in the NFL. It's just with chase and St. Brown and, and Waddle. I think we have a lot of star potential indicators with Moore. He has the star potential indicator in that he just had insane volume that true freshman year. I've got to say, though, as great as it was, and it is good to see, uh, and as much as he was a better recruit than Purdue usually gets, so he, he actually has more recruiting pedigree than than uh, people might expect, and that's always good. Yancey. Yes, uh, but uh, Dave, that David Bell guy, he might be good. He might be really good, but if he isn't really good, 
then we have to kind of start sniffing around the potential that there's a bit of a scheme sort of effect at play here. Uh, we'll see, though. They, they, more likely, it's that they're both good. Moore yeah, is, is very good, and that Bell is good himself. But it's just like we, we got to like start paying attention to stuff like that once once those sorts of trends emerge. Um, I think with better health this year or, or whatever particular year, Moore would have just kind of had more production last year and, and would be more at the forefront as like a one B to chase. But uh, to me, he's, he's kind of um, it's like, he doesn't, he doesn't have a big frame. He's, he's five, nine, right? Yes. He's five, nine, one eighty. Five nine one eighty. It was just fine. Um, it's just that it's one of those things. He, he, more trends toward the slot at a frame like that, where he will be very good. He, he should thrive in the slot. Um, it just kind of, it, it makes more narrow the path and it, it, it makes more dependent on uncertain luck based scenarios for him to reach the kind of upside that some of these other guys like chase he can he can excel theoretically every particular way so it's it's just it's more easy for him it's easier for him to kind of just stumble into a a, a lucky scenario where he reaches a ceiling of, of any particular sort whereas more it's like he needs the volume he needs he needs to be they need to stick with him because it's it's going to be more catches and, and yards after the catch than it is going to be touchdowns and, and, you know, air yardage and things of that sort. So I would just qualify like he's he's not as well rounded upside wise, in my opinion, as guys like Waddle and Emmanuel Ross and Brown and Jamar Chase. But he has that one angle at which that he's pretty much infallible at this point. Yeah, he's just yeah, he's ridiculous when it comes to to that, and he he is really tough with, with the ball in his hands. Um, yeah, there there is definitely when you when you look at Purdue though, just in general, um, the the system is not really like any other that you see in the in the Big Ten. It's uh, I mean that they throw it so much more, they they run so much more tempo. Um, so, so yeah, you need to kind of be able to differentiate and not get lost in the volume because the volume can be dizzying. Like his freshman year when he had 160 targets, like that's, you don't see that, uh, normally at the college football level. Um, so you gotta, you gotta like keep that in perspective. Hopefully he stays healthy this year. And if, if he does, and then it, I, I do think that David Bell is like more of that traditional um, NFL prospect type of guy, although he was just a true freshman uh, last year. But he's 6'2", 210. He was a big-time recruit by Purdue standards. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm definitely buying him as one of the better sophomore, uh, rising sophomore uh, receivers. So if those two are going together and there's at least competent quarterback play uh, from Purdue one way or the other, they don't really have – a true anointed starter at, at this point, but whoever it is, if they can just get the ball in their vicinity, uh, Bell and Moore are going to go off. And I think that, I think you framed it well when it comes to, to Moore that uh, a lot of people got wrapped up in that freshman year and, and a lot of it was tied to volume more than efficiency. But um, at the end of the day, he's still not someone that I want to bet against necessarily, even no. though that there are like some like, you know, empirical factors working against him. Yeah, he's got to be a really good athlete too. It's it's uh, yeah, it, it's he should be just fine. It's it's just I think the terms for him are such that like he needs to succeed in the slot, and if he doesn't, he's got a problem. However, we have every reason to believe he will do just that in the slot. So it's it's uh, it's it's one maybe he doesn't have as many avenues as some of these other guys, but there's just not much reason to, to question that one avenue he has. Right, exactly. Um, all right, let's move on over. 
uh, to to Rashad Bateman. So he he busted out last year. Well, he actually kind of busted out as a true freshman, actually, which maybe even bolsters his prospect profile even more. Um, but you know, he he was working alongside Tyler Johnson. Tyler Johnson was the guy that everyone knew uh, these last couple of years. But uh, Bateman, kind of the more explosive guy, uh, on 98 targets last year, going for 1,219 yards and 11 scores, uh, 60 catches there. So I mean, just ridiculous uh, production stuff that like you uh Whalen put it in a good way it's like you it looked like you just put an LSU receiver like on Minnesota's roster or something it, the way that that he looked and like just how jarring it is to see a talent of his level um at Minnesota like you just don't really see it um very often so uh Bateman 6'2 210 listed um He's just an absolute stud. It'll be interesting, though, this year uh, with Johnson being gone. Johnson, like having him opposite Bateman, uh, made defenses kind of play the this Minnesota offense uh, a little more straight up. They couldn't just uh, afford to double Tyler Johnson all the time or, or Bateman was going to kill them or, or vice versa. So now yeah. Bateman's going to have the full attention of opposing defenses, and Minnesota doesn't really have – uh, the next Tyler Johnson uh, to really uh, t- make defenses respect him, at, at least er- in the early going. Like one of Chris B- Ottman Bell, Demetrius Douglas, Clay Geary are going to have to prove to be a threat because otherwise, like, we're going to see Bateman just kind of getting swarmed every time out. Yeah, Bateman's one of those guys who I, I need to look at a bit more to know exactly what I think of him. But it it is encouraging so far because last year, as you said, was was great. He caught um, what must have been about 61, 62 percent of his targets at over 12 yards a target. Uh, the Minnesota passing game was really effective, but that's still definitely above the baseline. Him and Tyler Johnson were both super productive. So it will be interesting to see how he does with that increased attention, like you said. And I guess the main question he has is, is is the question of whether he can convince that he has an intermediate and underneath skill set. Because we, we know now, yes, he can win deep all day, at least at the collegiate level he can do that. And I'm encouraged by the fact that he's listed at 6'2", 210 going into his third year. That's the kind of guy who – it's like if they're go, if they're going into their third year listed at 210 – at receivers like you can you can kind of believe it's it's more believable the idea of them playing in the NFL at around that weight because it's sometimes they just lie about how heavy these guys are and sometimes it's 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 understandably difficult to get into you know a professional athlete's sort of shape while you're supposed to be a student who isn't getting paid so it's like sometimes these guys just can't really properly develop their frames until they get to the NFL so that means you know it's like 62210 we don't have to worry about Bateman getting to the combine and only weighing in at like 196 six or something you know mm-hmm. he's, he's going to show up at at least 205 and at least 61 and that means he's got the frame to conventionally project outside so it's uh, that's good to see because it's like if he needs to win outside and downfield then we want to see him have an outside and downfield kind of frame and athletic uh, trait set so we have every reason to believe that he has that and now it's the question of, of where his ceiling can go and how how consistent he can be as a pass catching threat is what can you do underneath and in the intermediate that's where tyler johnson was automatic in that range so we're going to find out if he can do anything like that and if he can that that could raise him quite a bit like i'm i'm probably a little um lower on Devonte smith than most people and i don't mean to be like bashing him or anything but his frame being listed at 6'1 175 going into his fourth year is the kind of thing that bugs me yes. relative to a guy like bateman and they're fighting for like the same sort of job in the nfl like we're, we're downfield guys and with smith i'm a little like less convinced that he's going to have the, the, the viable frame for that it's it's not something that i'm 
ruling. I'm not like crossing them off or anything. I'm just saying it's like it's a there's more unknown there than there is in the case of, of Bateman. He's got the frame for sure. So we'll see. I have them ranked about the same. I have probably Chase, Waddle, St. Brown in some order. Uh, and, and Chase in the first and then the order of St. Brown and, and Waddle in some I don't really care. And then I probably have I probably have Rondale Moore ahead of Devontae Smith and, and Bateman, but I have De- Bateman and, and Devontae Smith in like the same tier. Like they're the same guy as, as based on what I know to this point. Okay, just like the, those downfield assassin type of guys. Yeah, it's like you if, if you're looking for the particular role in question, it's like you're looking at both Smith and Bateman. If, if, if you're in the market for one, you're, you're seriously considering the other two. Yes, definitely. So um, ton to like about Bateman, and um, I'm interested to see um, because – uh, Minnesota lost their offensive coordinator. He, he's at Penn State now. Um, whether they stick with that philosophy of just run, run, deep shot, run, run, deep shot it as their as their kind of uh, as the metronome of, of that offense, or if they do end up kind of varying up the philosophy and, and developing uh, that underneath part of Bateman's game and, and uh, crisping out uh, the crisping up uh, the route running ability for for Bateman. Um, so as opposed to just being that, that downfield guy. So it'll be interesting to see how that develops over the course of this year and what that means uh, for the Gophers overall. Uh, before we get into our next prospect, we got a message from our friends over at Dynasty Owner. The best fantasy football leagues are those where every owner constantly pays attention, responds to trade offers, changes their lineup, and are always looking to improve their team. There is no off-season for these owners. That's who you're challenging yourself against in Dynasty Owner, other elite fantasy football players who are committed to competing. Dynasty Owner is the only fantasy football platform with a patent game using actual NFL salaries and contracts. Combine this with a salary cap, elite trading options, advanced team rosters, and devoted elite owners to compete against, and you're faced with the same decisions NFL owners and general managers must make. If you're ready to take on the best, then don't miss out. Join the wait list at DynastyOwner.com. That's DynastyOwner.com. We also got a message from our friends over at FanDraft. Take your league's fantasy football draft to the next level with FanDraft, the online fantasy football draft board. FanDraft makes your draft feel like the actual NFL draft with features such as streaming ticker, live draft clock, custom logos, team walk-up songs, multiple draft board displays, and more. FanDraft can be used offline for in-person drafts by exporting the display via projector or on a large screen TV for the league to enjoy. It can also be used fully online and any number of your league owners can join the draft remotely. That's huge. You can perform both traditional and auction-style drafts as well. FanDraft also supports IDPs, rookie-only drafts, keepers, and just about any customization to meet your league's requirements. You can sign up for, for a free trial account at FanDraft.com. When you're ready to order the pro account, make sure to use the promo code ROTOPOD15 to save 15% off your purchase. That's ROTOPOD15, R-O-T-O-P-O-D-15. Fifteen, all caps. Again, that's FanDraft.com and use promo code ROTOPOD15 to save 15% on FanDraft. All right, let's move Let's move to the Big 12 for a hey, moment. Hey, John. Yes. Sorry, can I, I just wanted to mention real quickly with the Big 10. I'm not kidding. Uh, some people are going to probably think this is like a bit or something, but there's this Indiana receiver named Wap Fillier who's really good. And uh, people aren't going to mention him that much because they're probably going to think it's just, oh, Indiana slot receiver or something. 
every single one of his three years at Indiana, he has outplayed the baseline of that passing game. He's got hurt quite a bit, so that's the main concern. But he he might be like a Deontay Johnson kind of player or something like that, and people should definitely keep an eye on him. Okay. Is is he is Deontay Johnson from Florida as well? Oh, I don't know. Maybe. Okay. Yeah, because <laughs> Wap Villiers from, from Tampa. Um, I do just tend to believe in receivers from Florida just a, as a general guiding principle. Better than – yeah, it's it's we like it when our Big Ten stars are not from the Big Ten states. That we do. And and speaking of, of one of those guys, actually, before we move on to, to the Big 12, uh, just cr- quickly, I wanted to go over Chris Olave. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, he's he's a guy who I don't think like is going to necessarily wow at the at the combine. Like, I don't think he has that element to his game. But from the time he was a freshman, uh, so to in 2018, like that guy just knew exactly what he was doing. Like he had a plan and he executed it like with every single route. It seemed like so his freshman year, obviously that that's a receiving core where he's going up against Terry McLaurin, Paris Campbell, uh, KJ Hill and, and Johnny Dixon for targets. So he only saw 16 targets in the seven games in which he appeared, caught 12 of them for 197 yards and three touchdowns in those games. Uh, last year uh, was able to be a little bit more featured in the offense. It wasn't quite as pass heavy with the move from Dwayne Haskins to uh, Justin Fields, but 76 targets. He caught 49 of them for 849 and 12. So that he had a kind of dizzying uh, touchdown rate as well. So he he plays on the outside. He's 6'1", 188 is, is his listing. Um, he's I think going to see even more volume uh, this upcoming season uh, for the Buckeyes with, with KJ Hill being gone. And I mean, he's going to be him or Garrett Wilson, Garrett Wilson, yeah. really interesting, but not, not draft eligible. Um, like those are going to be like the top two receivers on, on what I think is the best team in college football, Ohio state. So a lot of people are going to get a lot of looks at Olave this season. I don't think he's going to disappoint. Yeah, I don't th- him and Wilson, like you said, are both really promising. And uh, th- there are people who don't understand how to how to evaluate talents with the NFL and college football who are, who are trying to tell you all before the draft that KJ uh, KJ Hill was was like the best one of the best receivers in the draft. And we said, no, he isn't. And uh, those people who were wrong, uh, of course, they they were very sorrowful in in, in their. Uh, you know that they they retracted their wrong reports and admitted they didn't know what they were talking about They're coming back if, and just saying well he shouldn't have been a seventh rounder he's a steal now <laughs> yeah <Like> that's <laughs> they rebranded. It, that's what it is no um yeah if, olav and uh, wilson were really useful last year because they specifically were the were the hint that kj hill isn't that good you know he's not that good because look at what these two are doing those two with a big age disadvantage were better last year and they're both going to be big time producers this year yes or you know the next chance they get yeah so i i'm really excited to see like olave is someone who like i'm i'm i want to like plant my flag on among this you know really really loaded uh receiving maybe like he can be my amon ross saint brown like as far as like he doesn't get quite mentioned in like the top three or top four uh when you when you mention uh this 2021 receiving class but there's a lot to like about his games he might be like a slayton type but who goes earlier in the draft something like that i can get behind that uh for sure um okay let's move on 
let's get let's get one Big Twelve guy, and then let's move on over to the ACC. Um, Tylen Wallace, uh, someone who I don't think we would be having this discussion about it had he not uh, suffered that knee injury late last season. I think he would have just gone straight to the NFL. Um, but because he's coming back, maybe it had the domino effect. Maybe that's why Chuba Hubbard opted to come back. Maybe because o- Oklahoma State on paper now has a ridiculously loaded. Um, offense. I mean, you, you got Spencer Sanders back there at quarterback. He should be a little bit better this year. Again, Chuba Hubbard entering his senior year after a dominant, dominant junior year. Um, and then Tylen Wallace the, the same way. Um, but he's he's the one that's coming off injury. So I guess among the, the receivers that we've talked about, he might have the most to prove right now. Yeah. And he's one, I have to admit, I have trouble figuring out what I think. I, like, I know I think he's good to some extent, but I can't I can't really convince myself that I know he's more than a third or a fourth round kind of prospect, but he had the big volume in 2018, which uh, would that have been his, that would have been his true sophomore year, right? So yes. that's really impressive that the volume that he took up, the efficiency was a little more ambiguous. So I, I don't know whether I consider it above baseline, but to even carry the baseline as a true sophomore is itself a, a lot of points for the, for the prospect profile. So. With with the injury, you know, I don't I don't know what to, what was the what was it was a torn ACL yeah, or something. Torn ACL on Halloween. Oh god, that sucks. Okay, yeah. so if he's if he comes back okay from that, then I would I would guess I would project him as kind of like a round three kind of pick. Which to be clear, if it weren't such a strong class, I, I would I would project him higher than that. Like I wouldn't have any problem with him in the, the second round or whatever, and, and pending his athletic workout his athletic metrics. Maybe even first round. I don't know. It's just it's a really strong class where we have these other guys ahead of him who we we just don't really have any questions about, or at least not many. And so I, f- I feel like yeah, Tylen Wallace, if a, a good workout would help. Uh, another good season where he stays healthy and produces at the baseline or higher would help. In the meantime, I got to kind of leave him in, the, in the, I think that sort of round three, you know, That's keep right. an eye on him kind of category. Yeah, I'm. When it comes to like Oklahoma State receivers, like the production is whenever you're the number one in in Mike Gundy's offense, like you're always going to put up huge numbers. Or, or in, and if you don't, someone else is going to replace you, and then they are going to put up uh, the big numbers. So the the numbers you need to kind of read between the lines when it, when it comes to Wallace. And I think that you brought up the important contextualization when it comes to. Um, looking at the baseline and, and yes, like he did carry that baseline his sophomore year. And then he was, he was explosive uh, last year before like pre injury. And, you know, his, his game, his last game against Iowa state, one of the better defenses that, that they faced, you know, catching eight, eight balls for one thirty one and a touchdown in that one really impressive stuff going over 10 yards of target over the course of the, of the games that he played. But yeah, I think that um, it's just a, a fact of, this class is so loaded with with guys that might be have more might have more convincing athleticism um, out there, and, and when you take the numbers away, uh, Wallace maybe does like you said fall a couple tiers uh, behind some of the guys that we've talked about. Let's on let's move on over um, to the ACC. Uh, it's hard to know like where exactly to start because like there, there's so much to choose from here. There's a lot, yeah. and you know it's almost like shocking that we we don't get to start at Clemson. And you know I, I feel like we got we, you know, I don't mean it like jokingly. Like it, I feel like we were robbed of Justin Ross this year. But I, I really do like hold out hope that that he ends up being able to pick his football career back up because I think he's he could be just one of the more generational uh, talents. And and you know I think that he would have uh, had that Jamar Chase. 
uh, type of season last year if he was playing for LSU. Uh, not that playing for Trevor Lawrence is a bad thing or anything, but uh, he had that, that spinal issue. Uh, he had surgery. He's going to miss all of this year. Um, I don't know if we'll ever see him again in a Clemson uniform one way or the other, but um, he's he's ridiculous talent. But looking elsewhere in the ACC, um, I'd like to start uh, with Sage Surratt uh, of, of Wake Forest, and he's someone who – I think you can definitely start to to poke holes if you want to in in terms of uh, the production and or look at the system the way that you could with like Rondell Moore where it's like the volume is just so crazy. Um, yeah. But Surratt has like the more prototypical um, or not not even prototypical like it, kind of a rare uh, frame at six three two fifteen and like yes like he gets force fed a lot of targets because. Wake Forest, I think, has the most up-tempo offense in all of college football, like 85 plays for game or plays per game or something like that. Um, and they, they do skew towards the pass uh, more than the run. So that, that the you know, he's got the context to help him put him up, put up huge numbers. But uh, in nine games last year before he, he suffered a shoulder injury uh, to finish his season, um, he was targeted 102 times, caught uh, 66 of them for 1,001 uh, yards and 11 touchdowns at, at 6'3", 215, um, when he also had Scotty Washington and Kendall Hinton um, drawing a lot of targets a, as well. Um, so he's going to be the focus of opposing defenses this year, um, but at the same time, he's really going to be the focus of the Wake Forest offense this year. So I, th- I think... That, you know, it might look crazy seeing his name at the top of the receiver rankings on the college football side uh, for for fantasy purposes, but there's he's just going to get peppered with targets this year, and I think he's going to catch a lot of them at an explosive rate. Yeah, he was a third year player last year, so he to, to grade as a really high high range NFL prospect, you really need to to start producing at a standout level at that point, and he he at least got really close to clinching that detail. Like he had the injury, which complicated things. And I got to say, if he had played those games that he missed and that's at Clemson among them, maybe his, his peripherals would have suffered a little bit. Cause as, like the Clemson game is a good way to end up with uh, you know, 40 yards on 11 targets or something like that, which, yeah. which can tank your efficiency. But in the nine games that he played, he caught, uh, let's see, it looks like he caught about 66 or sorry 65 percent of his targets at 10 yards a target more or less and this is an offense that com- completed about 60 percent of its targets so he's at baseline or above it for the catch rate and then he's two full yards ahead of the baseline uh, for the yards per attempt consideration so that's good to see it's for me for a third year player to do that it's kind of like a, a checked box kind of thing like i'm not ready to rank him really high but he's he's definitely on the watch list for for potential promotion in the future for now i'm probably putting surratt in like a round four kind of category which is not it, it might sound critical or something but it, it, it has a lot to do with again just like how good the wide receiver talent pool is and uh do you happen to know was that shoulder injury that surratt had that was that a dislocated shoulder did you happen to read anything of it uh i'm not totally sure what what okay. it was uh Dave Clawson. Dislocated is bad is the only thing that I'm going to say. It's like a sep- I think it is that a separated shoulder sucks, but you uh, it's it's not as likely to turn into a chronic thing as a properly like dislocated shoulder joint. So that's something we might want to keep an eye out for in his eventual, you know, medical considerations. Yeah. Um, if you've ever seen a picture of, of Wake Forest co- coach uh, Dave Clawson, he kind of looks like a crazy guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just I don't think that he would ever like let one like 
single detail out if if he could avoid it. Although, was Wake Forest the one that had the leak a couple years ago? Sorry, what was that? Wake Forest had the what? The like there was like a leak where where like someone was like selling their their playbook or something. Oh right, I think yeah, it I was don't... Wake Forest actually. So so take back what I said, or maybe no, maybe that just makes Dave Clawson double down and never say a single word. Maybe about it's anything a false anymore. flag. Clawson leaked a fake playbook. I think that was part of it. There there was some crazy story. Like I, I'll I'll try to like find it and like retweet it this week or something because that that was so funny. It was like a, a disgruntled former like guy from like the old coaching staff and uh, he had like an axe to grind with Dave Clawson. Oh my god. Dave Clawson did, did the the Tyrion thing where he told a different he gave a different playbook to all the assistant coaches he didn't trust. Yes. And uh, <laughs> he found out that guy and had him murked. Yeah, just absolutely murked. Um, gosh, a lot of Wake Forest talk, and I'm kind of into it. I, I like this Wake Forest team, and I think Sam Hartman is going to do well. Uh, constant intrigue out, out of uh, Winston-Salem, of course. Um, let's stay in the state of North Carolina. Uh, let's go up to Chapel Hill. Uh, Diami St. Brown, or I'm sorry, Diami Brown. And, uh, Why not? <laughs> sure. And he's good at receiver. You get the Saint uh, attachment onto your name, a prefix onto your name. Um, him and Daz Newsome combined uh, for like this absolutely electric wide receiver tandem at North Carolina and part of UNC's just kind of huge football resurgence under Mac Brown that, you know, kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, he flipped Sam Howell from Florida State to to kind of like mark his first big recruiting win before he even coached a game at UNC and now Sam Howell you know has the look of a future first round pick at quarterback once he's eligible and he distributes the ball to to Newsom and Brown and let lets them uh, work their magic with both of those guys uh, very very interesting it seems like like Daz Newsom a little bit more of like the high volume slot guy whereas Diami Brown um, a little bit more dynamic plays on the outside a little bit bigger of a frame asked to do a little bit more deep down the field both these guys pretty interesting yeah for brown to put up the numbers that he did last year uh, a lot of kill shots 12 touchdowns on 51 catches he's also listed at 6'1 195 so if he's six foot 190 as a true second year player and he's going into his third year maybe pushing uh, his, his previously actually listed height weight that's pretty good because that means when he's when he's going to be ready to go into the NFL. He's, he's going to have an NFL frame. Like it's just one thing we don't need to worry about with him. And if he puts together two years in a row of explosive uh, above baseline production like this, he's, he's going to have to be on the short list. Like I'm, I'm pretty close to putting Deami Brown into the same tier as Tylon Wallace in my rankings, like in that, that third, fourth round kind of threshold where I'm, where I'm also totally prepared to move them up higher if, if things go a certain way. Uh, Newsom, I, I, it's a little harder for me to figure out a guy like him, but he helped himself last year. As you said, he, he caught uh, 72 passes. I'm not sure I see much indication of, of big playability, but if there is, maybe it's it's indicated in how the year before he had a punt return for a touchdown and he, he had uh, 96 yards on seven carries for a touchdown. So we'll see if he can get, get the yardage after the catch. But in the meantime, he's at least getting open, catching the ball pretty reliably. And uh, 10 touchdowns on 72 catches isn't bad for, for a more underneath receiver either. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Sam Howell was just facilitating i think his like touchdown rate last year like was like nine percent of his throws or something went for him and slovis were were both nuts for freshman quarterbacks last year unreal so um yeah sam howell actually replaced or in 
help facilitate this change. Uh, so Sage Surratt's brother, Chaz, used to be the quarterback <laughs> at UNC. Um, and then he made that classic position switch once Sam Howell got there. He's like, okay, well, I'm not going to start a quarterback anymore. Switches to linebacker. Um, and he racked up, I think, like over 100 tackles last year. And I believe I've seen him ranked as, as 115 solo tackles uh, la- or total tackles uh, a year ago. And now he is considered to be like one of the top, if not the top, inside linebacker prospects. So uh, that's some more found money for, for UNC that, that, that they've had. So I don't know. Fun little anecdote. Those Surratt brothers, they can play some football. Yeah, and you're going to have to be ready to trade up in your IDP League rookie drafts so you can get uh, – what what is his name? Chad. Uh, Chaz. Chaz Surratt. Uh, so, yeah, you're going you're gonna to need those uh, those annoying uh, Bubba Elliott and what are they? The, the other uh, – uh, Sheldon Richardson. Those 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 uh, defensive guy touchdowns because he's he's going to do like wildcat quarterback and things that make everybody very angry. Ooh, yes, yes. So he got, he's got to get him number one in the IDP rookie draft. The entity. Um, okay, let's let's round things out for these draft eligible guys. Um, let's go. Tamorian Terry in ASCC yes. is, is a he's. I don't know what kind of roundedness his game has. He might only be a downfield guy, but they're listing him at around six four two ten. So if, as long as he comes in with like that Denzel Mims kind of frame, like six three two oh seven, he might have a pretty similar profile uh, as a prospect because I think his production is already better than Mims's ever was at Baylor. Uh, like Terry was safely above the Florida State baseline last year, uh, doing over ten yards a target. As uh, I guess it was his third year, so yeah, he kind of registered sophomore. Yeah, yeah, he kind of needed to come through with a season like that, but he totally answered the call, and we otherwise have reason to believe that he runs in kind of like the low four threes. Yeah, there, there's some yeah anecdotal evidence uh, of Terry just absolutely dusting um, opposing defenses. Like once he gets the ball in his hands, like he just runs away. Um, and you know, I think there's also the fact that Florida State, since he's been there, has probably been enduring it's like worst period of football since like pre bobby bowden um and the quarterback play i don't expect it to be a whole lot better this year so i don't i don't know how much better the production is going to be but um it can't be worse and i think that the mike norvell offense might might end up helping some things so um terry should be well over a thousand yards in terms of being a receiver again this year and and he does have that blazing speed in the very intriguing frame you know maybe he answers the question of like what if auden tate was fast yeah yeah i mean i he really i think could come out with a mims like profile but just better in my opinion i I, like i'm higher on terry than maybe most people are lower on mims than most people i'm not sure uh but yeah if you're if you're producing like that and you can run like that at some point you just gotta assume that the player is what they look like you know yes definitely um so just good stuff uh from from him um you want to talk a little bit about some of the uh, sophomore uh, receivers, the guys that that shined as freshmen that obviously won't be draft eligible this year, but you know could be filling the air on, on this podcast like a year ago from from today. Uh, I can't remember if we mentioned Seth Williams, but he's not in the sophomore category. But he was the last one, the last uh, guy that I was thinking draft eligible. And I think Seth Williams could be really good. I, I actually think he could be like a first round player, even in this really crowded group. But as far as the sophomore guys, hmm, uh, would you put would you put the Oklahoma? Uh, what is it? Hazelwood? Is is he kind of on the top of the list? He's. I mean, he definitely came in that way. Like coming into to last year, I thought that he was the best receiver from that from that group. But um, a lot of targets open. 
There, there are, but he he got injured uh, working out this spring, so I don't know if, oh, if know. he's going to play uh, this year or not. Uh, but yeah, see, the, that's the, why we uh, we need you here because I'm just going to name the the infirmary as my watch list. <laughs> You're good. You're good. Um, so for me, the best sophomore receiver. Uh, you can call me biased all you want, and generally I, I am, but uh, I think objectively George Pickens is the best receiver. Oh yeah, in the, in the tw- or in this uh, among the twenty twenty uh, sophomores, he is ridi- ridiculous. I'm not afraid to say that that he's the best receiver that that Georgia's had since AJ Brown or AJ Green. Um, yeah, six three one ninety. Just he got he kept getting better over the course of the entire season. Uh, just destroyed Baylor in that in that uh, Sugar Bowl. Um, 12, 12 catches on fifteen targets for one seventy five. Uh, probably the reason why I won that little like DFS tournament that that you me <laughs> and and uh, Jeff Erickson and Joe Bartle had. Um, yeah, he silky smooth athlete, really tall. Even caught a, a touchdown against LSU in a T- terrible game i don't like to talk about that game um he he got in a fight with a georgia tech guy at one point no <laughs> he's no there there's everything for for a georgia fan to like about pickens but i think also like on seriously on the field uh just an absolutely dynamic player um at his position yeah i agree pickens is at a he's already nearly a, a lock for the first round in my opinion like pending all you know realistic qualifiers that go with that he he's pretty much already there like he it's it's that level of benefit of the doubt that he's established so it'll be interesting to see what kind of ceiling he can he can reach into and unlike these guys that we've been talking about he might actually have a a a lower level of competition in his draft uh he he doesn't have to deal with these guys like amon ross st brown and and jamar chase so he he could go really high even if we don't think he's as good necessarily as some of these, some of these other guys, not to rule out that possibility either. Like he could just be exactly as good as chase and, and Jalen Waddle and whoever else. But yeah, that's, that's a good call. Pickens is definitely the top sophomore, even regardless of how uh, Hazelwood turns out or whatever. Um, I guess there's a couple pack 12 guys. He, he, uh, Micah Pittman for Oregon is not built like Michael. Like he's more like a slot receiver in the NFL. I think he's, I think he's like five eleven, two hundred, 200, something like that. So he, he got injured last year, but he also was earning rave reviews. I remember in practices and he, he got back into the offense when he was not hurt or when, when he's healed. So that's always good to see if the, if the guy recovers from the injury and they still leave him on the sideline, that's a little concerning. They put Pittman right back in. So we'll see what he can do in his second year. And then I guess it's, yeah, Drake London with USC. He's they're doing the big slot thing with him. He looks a lot like Jalen Hurd as far as like being kind of lanky, 6'5", 220 kind of thing. But he's he, him being a true freshman, he might be more like 6'5", 240 or something like that by the time he's eligible. And we'll see what kind of movement he has if he does add weight to his frame. But to be like London, 6'4", 6'5", 215, 220 as a true freshman, like that's already, you know, NFL kind of build. And he was he was automatic last year. Yeah, definitely. So so I, I like what I see for, from Drake London. Um we're going to see a true test of like Clemson got a couple of the best receivers surprise surprise um in the 2020 or 2019 class um in Frank Ladson and Joe Nada and neither of them played a ton last year because they obviously had Justin Ross they had T Higgins uh, Amari Rogers is still there but with Higgins and and Ross out of the picture one of those two if not both are going to step up and, and really get the opportunity to show uh what they're made of um I like both of those guys I think they're both really really extremely talented just another like group of classic 
Clemson, Clemson outside receivers, you know, 6'2", 6'3", um, with, with standout athleticism on top of it. Um, neither of them did a ton – uh, as true freshmen last year, I don't really mark that against them, and I know for a fact that they're going to get the chances uh, this year. And you know, with Trevor Lawrence entering his junior year, you know, he might let enter a level of of play that we really, you know, Joe Burrow level uh, in terms of like the game slowing down. He's Megatron, yeah, Megatron, the quarterback. Insane. So uh, look for those guys to really step up. And we we already talked about Garrett Wilson a little bit, but he's someone that, that we like a lot. And David Bell, um, I think that the, I think we hit on most of like those top. Uh, the mid-major mm-hmm. the mid-major guys to watch cj johnson at east carolina he already looks like a, a bully and he had offers from those other carolina bigger schools so he, he could be pretty interesting he's like 6'2 225 or something like that uh, pretty mean on the field and then uh, dante wright with colorado state he, he's a receiver technically but he kind of looks like austin eckler on the field he's kind of interesting he had a big freshman season last year even with a even with warren jackson drawing a billion targets right so yeah th- you, you had a really good piece up on the college football section about some of those mid-major uh, receivers so be sure uh, to check that out as well but uh, that's about all i got uh, for this week on our little you know prospect adventure um for for this week's uh, version of the NFL podcast. Uh, so for Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. is the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall he knows the show must always go on that's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working the hvac is humming and his facility shines with Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces plus 24 7 customer support his venue never misses a beat call quickgranger.com or just stop by Granger for the ones who get it done